we've used this term a 360 degree view of our fan for quite a few years now. And what's really what, what that really means is is trying to understand the fan, who they are, and how they are attached to us, and then be able to deliver the best experience based on their own personal habits. All of those personalized offers and relevant content makes for a better experience for both the fan and the brand. And you don't get that unless you learn about the fan. If you don't know what you what someone likes, it's impossible to deliver a personalized experience. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we are joined by Brian Matzat, Director of Digital Innovation at the Portland Trailblazers, and Lenny Go, Vice President of Business Development at Tradable Bits. Brian enters his seventh season with the Trailblazers and Rose Quarter as Director of Digital Innovation. Brian is responsible for the advancement of digital strategy by enhancing digital experience and leading development of new digital products for the organization. Hailing from Vancouver, Canada, Lenny has a wealth of experience in his career in e-commerce, digital and social media and a variety of startups. He blends his passion for sport and technology together as a Vice President of Business Development at Tradable Bits. Lenny works with global sports and entertainment brands to build their fan communities and activate their data. An advocate of fan-based marketing techniques, he empowers partners to build better fan experiences that are more personalized so they can bring their fans close to the teams and brands they love. Really excited for today's discussion between Lenny and Brian. Uh, we cover off a lot about fan engagement, obviously how that can drive revenue, because without that, it is kind of an empty subject, to be honest. But we cover everything from the importance of first-party data, rolling into lots of stuff about NFTs uh, and balancing between engaging fans where they are and trying to migrate them onto your own platform. So really interesting discussion. Uh, as I said, I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again. If you don't know anything about Sports Tech World Series, we are the global community for sports technology. And my primary role is offering research consulting and advisory services to uh, the sports technology community. So if you are a sports tech vendor, if you're an investor in sports technology or looking to invest, uh, if you're a team or league and you're wondering how uh, technology can have a role in improving your on-field and off-field performance, then feel free to get in touch. Thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. You can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining us on Sports Tech Feed. Ryan Matzat, Director of Digital Innovation at Portland Trailblazers and Lenny Go, VP Business Development at Tradable Bits. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us, Thomas. And I just realized that we're in, a, in an audio format and people won't know who's who. That was Lenny that you heard first and Brian is the second voice. So um, we don't often do multiple guests, but this is, this is great to have both of you joining us uh, today to talk about driving revenue and fan engagement and some of the, the cool tech that's coming down the line and some of the old tech that's coming back as well um, that we'll get into. But first question, uh, pretty basic one, but incredibly important when we're talking about this sometimes fluffy, nebulous, um, touchy-feely concept of fan engagement. But how do you actually use fan engagement to drive revenue? Uh, and Brian, I guess over to you for that one first. Yeah, for sure. I, I see, see a few different ways. Um, I think that the most logical first one is, is through partnerships. So being able to attach a partner in a meaningful way to anything we're doing to engage fans is a, is a home run for both the partner for the team and to the fans. It, it is able to give us more opportunity to lift any engagement campaigns that we might have. And quite frankly, right now is something that we are basically required to do. You know, we've had in the last 
14 plus months, we've had to rethink everything that we were doing, uh, especially in arena is now on the digital side. So we're, we're rethinking how we do things with partners um, and focusing purely on a digital, on a digital scale. I think um, something that is probably the next most logical is, is lead generation. So taking those super fans that, that are engaged in XYZ campaign, which is something that uh, we've been fortunate with uh, working with Lenny and the Tradable Bits team for the past several years is we have our fan CRM that's able to give us a history of how engaged fans are and then take those super fans, so to say, and get them into a, a segment based on their propensity to buy, whether it's merchandise, whether it's tickets, whether it's um, a subscription to watch the games. And lead generation is a huge component. Um, and then there's other things like, you know, owned, uh, or sorry, uh, social ad revenue. So being able to run pre-roll on Twitter and YouTube and monetize the content that we're putting out on all channels is another way to connect with our fans, deliver the content that they want to see, and also monetize it. So I think those three key um, key pillars for us is what has driven the bulk of our revenue um, through digital fan engagement. Hmm. And, and so well, you mentioned there um, social media platforms and also other platforms, if you include YouTube as a social media platform, that's a whole nother debate, but external third party um, platforms for your content and for your fans. Um, how important is first party data though? And, and how has there been a noticeable shift towards capturing that um, after the pandemic? I would say that there has, and more specifically, uh, there's been a shift towards it with this upcoming and now here, iOS 14.5 release. So if you don't know what if you don't know about that latest version of iOS 14, um, it's it's what I call the answer to face or Apple's answer to Facebook. And um, essentially it is giving users the ability to control what apps are tracking them. And that is going to dramatically shift the way that Facebook does business. It's going to drastically change the way that advertisers do business. And so more so than ever, we need to be owning our data and not relying on third parties to, uh, to deliver that data to us. I think, you know, five years ago, six years ago with the, the rise of social media and sports, it was kind of this fire hose of data. It was pre Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, where you could pretty much, um, you pretty much got anything and everything from insights on your fans that you wanted. And we are now seeing that hose almost completely cut off when it comes to engaging on social, which I think ultimately for the fan and for the consumer as a whole is a really, really great thing. Um, it does present new challenges for advertisers and brands. Um, and, and look, there's always going to be room on, at, at the table for, for Facebook. But I think brands really need to get to a place where they're, they're trusting social media as much as consumers are these days. And, and how much is that? Not very much. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Brian, it's you see the, the pendulum swing that way. Lenny, thoughts on that? What have you seen uh, with the clubs 
the teams yeah. you've been working with over the past few years. Well, Brian, you set that up really well. Uh, it's the apocalypse is literally happening <laughs> in digital advertising right now, right? Um, agencies are freaking out. They don't know how to handle this. Uh, all the reporting's changed, like how they can retarget it is, is gone. So in, in our world, we've been preaching first party data for years. Own your own fan base, you know, know your fans, market smarter. This has always been part of our mantra. So as this stuff started to happen, it's been great. You know, the partners that we've had, we've been working on Brian, what, five, six years, maybe? We have a database of first party data that he can, he can hit, still find ways to market that fans authentically. The key, key around this is really about fans choosing to raise their hand and, and consenting. But the brand, on the other hand, uh, has to make sure they're giving something back of value. Right. That's part of that relationship. And that's where the fan engagement piece comes together. Um, so it, it, thinking about it from uh, numerous ways, fan engagement is really about that digital journey for the fan. Every di digital touch point, whether they're entering a campaign or contest, whether they're buying a ticket, you know, buying some merch, uh, engaging on, on social, um, doing something live at the game in, in digital, you know, that an activation that we may have done. We want to understand the footprint of that fan and, and how they're doing it. So we can ultimately help our partners make uh, the best fan experience possible. We want it to be really um, overall, like just a lot better. So what, what's the balance then between engaging fans where they are on social media? So meeting the fans where they are and then trying to migrate them onto your owned platforms. So capturing that first party data, how do you, how do you balance between the two? So obviously social media is, it may be the apocalypse, but it's still um, an incredibly powerful tool for connecting with a wide, wide group of people. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take this to start for, yeah. So like the way Brian and, and a lot of our partners have been doing it, it's, it's social is kind of where they're at for sure. If you can find ways to, engage that fan through it in a different type of activation, um, then, then they're going into the, the process of, you know, entering a, a campaign, looking to win a prize or, or some type of experience around it. And there's a give and get scenario. They have to raise their hand. They have to authenticate. They have to do something. And in that, there's obviously legal terms and rules if there's a, a contest or a other piece tied to it. But then you, you understand that's, that's a true transaction there for uh, capturing the fan data. If there is happens to be uh, a social auth that's tied to it, we may understand a little bit more about that fan as well. And they're consenting to be able to give you that. And so it's not about remarketing and tracking. It's about a fan choosing to give you that sort of information in, in that way that's very useful for, for the team. So if you auth using Facebook or Twitter or Spotify, you're going to get a little bit of different understanding of that fan based on the network. Uh, when we work with with music and, and partners, we'll understand some music listening tastes or habits if they log in with Spotify, uh, or or maybe how they interact in a campaign get, will give us more insight into it. You know, they may not even have had to log in with a social auth; they just put in your name. But how you answer in a personality quiz, uh, what you answer along the way is, is it can be you know harnessed and, and you understand a little bit more about the fan. But the whole idea, the concept, is not uh, to it's, it's to make sure that you understand well enough to create 
a better personalized experience, the best mm. fan experience possible. It's about doing yeah. things for good and not for evil. <laughs> that's a bold, that's a bold way to put it, but <laughs> that covers everything. And Brian thoughts on that. How do you, how do you balance between the two? Yeah, I think, um, I think you both brought up really good points. One is you, you need to meet your fans where they are. That, that is, is, will always remain true. Meaning, there's, there's reasons why there are some teams that are more active on Reddit than others. Uh, the, the fan base is, if the fan base is participating in Reddit, then that's where the team should be spending a bulk of their time. If you find that your fans have a higher propensity on Twitter, meet them there. But at the end of the day, um, we need to not forget about pr- pr- uh, we need to not forget about providing value to the fan and simply engaging with the team is not enough. Um, and so to Lenny's point, something that we try to do is learn about our fans. And we've used this term, a 360 degree view of our fan for quite a few years now. And what's really, what, what that really means is, is trying to understand the fan, who they are and, and how they are attached to us and then be able to deliver the best experience based on their own personal habits. So if we know someone is going to be a super fan of CJ McCollum, then let's make sure that CJ McCollum is front and center uh, if they open the app. Or if we know that they are a huge fan of Yusuf Nurkic, let's make sure that if we are, are sending them offers for our retail store, that they are branded with Yusuf Nurkic's jersey. All of those personalized offers and relevant content makes for a better experience for both the fan and the brand. And you don't get that unless you learn about the fan. If you don't know what you what someone likes, it's impossible to deliver a personalized experience. So that comes with learning who they are on social, that comes with learning who they are when they're engaging with their owned and operated. And then on, on the data side, finding a way to, to aggregate all of that information into one centralized profile for the fan. And so from the sounds of it, it's, it's not just the classic kind of, I have, you know, D2C, direct to consumer. I have the ability to go direct to you on a email, on an, an app, something else where I'm just kind of uh, there. I'm not, mediated through a, a third party um, social media platform. It's not just the value of directly accessing fans. It's knowing more about them. It's that personalization piece. As you said, it's not purely, you know, I can get to my fans faster. It's I know more about them. So wherever I do get to them, it's going to be better, better quality for them, um, better value for them. And then that's much more likely to translate into uh, version yeah exactly it's it's really about creating a more authentic relationship right like it, you can have a wide variety of ways people prefer communication some might convert better on email some you know uh, an ad would work for them uh, sms might work better for for a different group of people i think we want to understand these segments of fans and ultimately choose where the best form of communication is going to be that's going to be the most relevant as well too there's, you know, nothing worse than like, this is an email blast. Like we know that doesn't work, right? But mm. targeted to a very specific group. That's the key. And that's fundamentally what we've been doing in partnership together 
over the years, uh, you know, um, Brian testing lots of different things, bringing innovative ideas, us building things together, us using and, and improving the Tradebuilders platform to ultimately be able to activate and, and understand the fans and, and be able to create these better personalized experiences overall. Yeah, and I think that, uh, I think some someone that does, uh, uh, that does personalization extremely well, and if I may do say so myself, is, is Spotify. So I'm an avid Spotify user. Uh, even, they, even though they just raised prices on me, I am, I'm not jumping ship. I'm not going to Apple Music. And why is that? Because every Friday, I get so stoked about the release radar playlist that they update. And I'm a, I'm a West Coaster, so they give it to me at 9 p.m. on Thursday. So I'm even more excited on Thursday night. So I turn I turn on my speakers and listen to the new release radar. And it's it's not release radar for top 40 hits, which is not my genre. It's release radar for me. It's based on my listening habits and it's personalized to me. It's going to be different from what Lenny listens to. We might have a little bit of Jimmy Eat World overlap if they release yeah. a new album. <laughs> but um, but um, but it's 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 extremely well done and that gives me a ton of brand loyalty and ultimately for them their goal is user retention mm. um, so that they're not going to lose me anytime soon because they just provide that incredibly personalized experience and and they have me hooked mm. and the, you notice the yeah and as a consumer you do notice the personalization when it when it goes right and then when it goes very very wrong it enters that uncanny valley where you go all you've tried, but you've missed the mark so much. And it's, and that's when it starts to feel invasive. And that's when it starts to feel um, that you're not getting value from it, um, that it, it needs to be seamless. And I, and I think about my, um, my wife's Spotify, which is linked to our Alexa and wow, that thing gets a workout that must have no idea what's going on between, you know, her nineties, nineties country and 2000 country. And then I'll come in with some, uh, Aussie rock from the eighties and then one of the kids will want baby shark or something. It's, yeah. it's that AI is, if that was a person that, that is just so confused. Um, my Spotify year in review is messed because of my son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just frozen on repeat. So, um, but that, that's it. That's understanding that personalization, understanding that individual as an individual uh, and, and what they're attracted to. And um, is that something that, you think is is generational because this is just something that's been bouncing around in my brain is when we talk about a lot of this um kind of personalization and fans and the way they engage in different ways inevitably it comes back to well younger fans aren't as engaged they don't want long-form content they don't you know, all this kind of stuff and then there's stats depending on which almost which side of the cult or the religion you subscribe to either you're saying well no, fans are still engaged in sports. They're just engaged in different ways. Um, or it's saying, well, maybe just the product is different. Do you think it is, it is generational or something really personalization is going, it applies to everyone. What's happened is sports is just getting better at connecting with our fans. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of both. It's, there's, there's definitely a generational thing, but I think that's partly to do with the technology that's come along with it. Like yeah. TikTok is a perfect example of that. They're training an entire generation of people to not, like they just have to, they don't have to go follow something or whatever. It's personal. The feed is personalized mm. based on their habits or like what they like. If I want to see 
you know, trick shots. And I see a lot of engaging a lot of those videos. I'm going to get a lot of trick shot stuff happening on my TikTok, you know, feed. Right. So I do think the attention span for sure, hundred percent is, is, is not the same as it was before, but at, because of that, it's how you consume media and how media is presented to that generation in that way that they're not having to go look for it. It's coming to them in their feeds. The expectation. Yeah. 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 It's um, I, I'm reminded of a, a survey that I, I found on Axios back in January and it's talking about preferring to watch highlights versus full games. And it's incredibly, um, it's incredibly scary as a, as a sports brand um, to see the amount of fans. It's in NBA fans, 54% of fans 18 to 35 prefer watching highlights to full games, whereas only 40% of ages 50 plus do. So, that the trends there are just, uh, they're seismic. Um, but that ultimately does not necessarily mean that a fan is not still a fan. What that means though, is that traditional broadcast needs to get smarter and teams need to get smarter about how they're delivering the broadcast to fans. And the cable subscription is a very interesting, at a very interesting inflection point. I think you would see a lot of uh, a lot of brands five years ago say that you know, cable subscription is dead, and and it is very much not. It's um, it's uh, for better or worse, it is still very much alive, and um, and so uh, teams need to continue to push to innovate in this in this model because eventually those fifty plus will become sixty plus, and and they will not be our target demographic anymore. So how do we meet the fans where they are in that target demographic and delivering full games over traditional cable subscriptions may or may not be the way to do that in the next 20 years. Um, but it is still the primary way that mm. teams are, are delivering their content to fans today. Yeah. Yeah. As yeah. long as those broadcasters are still writing those big checks, that ain't going away. Yeah, uh, I for some work that we did for a, a consulting client, I um I mapped the uh, rate of uh, just viewership for NFL, um and then mapped that against valuations um for the broadcast rights, and it's amazing because the overall viewership is going down, valuations are going up, because then you map that against well linear TV, live sports is the most important product um, that they have. So although you may be going, well, cord cutting, you know, TV's dead, blah, blah, blah. Um, all the major broadcasters have streaming platforms now and they all are investing heavily in sports rights. Um, the NHL Turner deal, for instance, um, don't have the NFL, so that, you know, they're, they're pushing into other areas. Um, so yeah, it's one of those things that you can, if you selectively look at the data, you go, oh, well, you know, it's dead. It's definitely not, it's, it's still 100, 10 or 100 whatever billion dollars that um, was spent on the, uh, the media rights deal. Um, but it, there's also room for innovation within that. And we're seeing that with uh, multi, multi-casts, multiple channels, streaming, uh, what it is across the app experience and stuff like that. And that leads on to the next question around innovations in the membership experience. So memberships as classically stands is, uh, or season ticket holders or whatever that is, um, wherever you are in the world is, 
I pay up front at the beginning of the season. I get guaranteed seats or I'll get the opportunity to purchase seats. I'll get some sort of membership pack with merchandise. I might get, if I'm at the really top end, I might get a VIP experience where I get to meet and greet players or I get a signature or I get some sort of souvenir. Um, and then I go on my merry way. And that's available for people that are within the, the location of the stadium or have the means to, to get there. Um, and then for fans further afield and global fans, it's not really a, a value exchange that they want to do. Why would I be paying for a seat that I can never access? Um, so how do you think the virtual digital membership experience is going to look like in the next few years? Is, is that going to be one of those things that because there is no limit to the inventory that you can sell, you know, you're limited by the amount of seats you can sell in a physical sense, whereas virtually there's absolutely no limit to that. Um, do you think it will, will be on par as a, as a source of revenue? It's a, it's a really, really interesting question. Uh, I think that a lot of this is going to go the way of, of cable subscription, right? So, um, so we need to partner with our local broadcasters to push the envelope and expand the ways that we're allowing fans to consume the game as well as how the broadcaster is able to monetize the game. If, if we don't help them get there, um, that we're still in, and, and we, meaning sports brands, are still signing deals with them. We're both behind, right? So how do we continue to push the envelope in a partnership? Um, it'll be a very interesting conversation. I think, um, I think the, the, the model needs some evolution and we can get there um, if we all work together. Uh, but the technology is finally in, in place and, and you know this, this season is, uh, is no exception. You know, with our, our uh, inability to have fans at the, at the arena, we've, we've pivoted towards things like our second screen experience. We partnered with Tradable Bits and MLSE called Home Court. Uh, which is a way to watch high, uh, watch players warm up. It's a way to chat with fellow Blazer fans. It's a way to compete for a new Toyota. You can't shoot, shoot a half-court shot during halftime anymore, but you can shoot your shot by predicting the game. Um, and then even fun things like retro 8-bit games that, that fans can play. And so I, I think you augment that with something like the live broadcast, and all of a sudden you have this you have this ability to engage the 99.5% of your fan base who is not going to be at the arena. And that is this, uh, this mythical group of fans that we sometimes forget about um, mm. because the arena experience has so much revenue tied to it. We often prioritize that over um, off instead of everyone else that's that's watching the game and so we need to the the pandemic was a, a a very firm reminder of that that group and we need to continue to prioritize them as much as we've been prioritizing the in arena experience over the years and it, it feeds in as well to what we're talking about about generational shifts is that younger generations will pay for digital and virtual experiences in the same way that older generations would pay for physical. I mean, um, what we've seen with the NFTs and, and the collectibles is 
for a lot of old generations wrapping your head around why would I buy um, a digital collectible? Um, for the younger generations go, well, why would you buy a baseball card? Um, you know, it's, it's looking at either side and going, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, and, and that's a way that you can, again, obviously collectibles have limits on them. That's how they generate their value, you know, scarcity. Um, but as part of your virtual membership, you'll get an NFT of a highlight of a dunk or whatever from that game that you attended. And that has real value. And, and I think gaming for me certainly has led the way on this esports. Um, what we've seen with Fortnite, a lot of people talking about the Travis Scott um, Fortnite concert. Um, a lot, what was missed in that, you know, how many people participated, that's great. The viewing numbers, fantastic. But they also sold $25 million of merchandise. Digital. Completely merchandise. virtual. Digital, yeah. Completely virtual, completely digital. 25 million bucks. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure Travis Scott wouldn't sell that many T-shirts at a concert. I'm willing to put my hand on my heart and, and predict that. Um, so it, it's really, that's a bit of a, uh, another seismic shift that's, um, it feels like it's, it, it is seismic, but it hasn't quite been realized as much as it, as it, um, as it should. Yeah. Uh, just kind of going back to the, the idea of that virtual membership, I think not necessarily having all those fans have to pay like home court's free. We want people to to participate and and do that, but now you have an entire uh, space to sell new sponsorship inventory that didn't exist. So that's the mm. monetary revenue perspective. I don't think you want to necessarily try to charge fans for the virtual experience, mind you. There maybe there's an opportunities for something down the road that it has more of a VIP experience or whatever it is. Yeah, it, it, it might be a be, virtual, but yeah, but you to need to very grow high it. level. Yeah, yeah, you need to grow it to a point where a fan sees a value in it. So I mean, kudos to our, our partners and uh, you know, for for getting out there and being innovative in, in trying this uh, home court and digital arena and these sorts of experiences to try to bring all these fans together from from outside the arena and and you know brian and i have been messing around with, with uh you know watching the nft space uh top shot and other things like that too and it it's really interesting like you said like gaming has always sort of led this way like the digital goods has has been there like years and years ago when people were like selling world of warcraft items on ebay and stuff like that right like there's there's always been value behind a digital good and you have an entire generation that's getting up in, in the gaming and everything that, that understands that the the interesting thing will be looking at it uh from when you when you're not going from a content perspective like top shot or like what does an nft create value for that's when you need to tie a real world experience to the nft as well so if you have this NFT, it happens to be maybe it's a commemorative ticket, uh, but it's a instead of giving you a physical version, you have a digital, a piece that you you mint and create for that specific game, and only a certain amount of fans can sort of buy. But what does that NFT give you in a real world perk with a partner or something like that as well? That's where I see like the opportunity of of you know really growing uh, and accepting that that sort of space. And then it's not just that digital good, it's this digital good, which is kind of cool. It's got all these things, but I can get some type of real world perk out of it as well. Mm. 
yeah, definitely that that convergence between the two. And um, yeah, that's I mean, and then you get into the metaverse and and if we start talking about that now, we'll never stop. But I, I really appreciate your time. We're kind of coming to the end of um of our time allotted. So I want to ask you both uh, a question we ask all our guests, which is what is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Ooh. Lenny, you're up. I'm up. Okay. Um, on the spot. I'll give Brian a little spot. bit more time to think. Uh, it's 10-year anniversary, actually. The 2011 Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, Vancouver Canucks versus uh, Chicago Blackhawks, Alex Burroughs, OT winner. I was sitting in the press box. I was the intern for the Canucks, wondering if I have a job the next day. And he scores the OT winner, and they go on the next round, and they go all the way to Game 7 in the Stanley Cup finals. Fantastic. Yeah, we've got the, uh, the, the jersey in the background as well. Um, there. So, Brian, yourself? For me, um, <laughs> I, I'd like to think, I, I tried to rack my brain around my childhood, and I was raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and if you know anything about the NBA in the 90s, the Milwaukee Bucks were nothing to cheer about, unfortunately. Um, and then I hit, um, I hit my uh, teenage rebellion, anti-sport years right when they actually got good, so I didn't really pay attention to the Bucks when they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. So this this one's pretty easy for me. It's uh, Dame shot over Paul George in the OKC Thunder um, two years ago in the playoffs. Uh, I was lucky enough to be in the arena at the time, and I I, I, I I'm surprised my ears weren't bleeding coming out of uh, of the arena. It was so incredibly loud, hugging strangers. It was it was just the the most incredible experience I've, I've had in, in a sporting event ever. And, uh, and I mean, the shot was just insane, right? The, the, so iconic, the, the arc on the ball. I mean, just everything about it was just mind blowing. And, um, and then they made it to the Western conference finals, which is, um, which is nothing to sneeze at. So uh, that one, that one stands out for sure. Fantastic. Okay, it's great. I'm I'm sure there's an M- NFT of it somewhere. I haven't I haven't checked Top Shot in a while, but yeah, I'm sure there's probably one of, of that out there. I uh, just might Dame's, cost, cost a small house to uh to get your hands on it. Dame's got his own now. Uh, they're on OpenSea, so check those out if you have time. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brian. Um, thank you so much, and Lenny as well. Uh, it's been a really great chat. I've got a lot out of it, and uh, we'll. Uh, include some links um, to the stuff, some of the stuff that we've discussed in the show notes uh, and hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. There you have it. That was Brian Matzat, Director of Digital Innovation for the Portland Trailblazers and Lenny Go, Vice President of Business Development at Tradable Bits. Really interesting discussion. Obviously, Brian and Lenny know each other quite well and work very closely on a lot of the projects. Um, so cool to kind of see their thoughts and bounce off each other. And of course, we had to get NFTs in there somewhere. Uh, a real buzz term kind of topic, but as we talked about, has, has the potential to have a huge impact and really that convergence of digital and physical uh, something I'm going to keep hammering on until I'm blue in the face, but I think it's got uh, the potential to really revolutionize the fan experience and also how it's monetized. So in terms of providing other opportunities for sponsorship inventory, uh, providing other things that value adds that you can sell to your to your customers, to your fans, depending on which way you think of them. But you know, at the end of the day, it is about making that fan experience much more engaging, much more value adding. Thanks again for joining us on Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. As always, I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Looking forward to seeing you next time.